0: This is Andrew Cronin, and you're listening to Unknown Outcome, the artist interview series. Your chance to go behind the scenes with the Unknown Outcome artists and to learn about their lives and work. In August 2019, the Hermitage Museum and Gardens put out a call to artists. Artist teams, architects, designers, engineers, makers, creators, artists, and dreamers living in and around coastal Virginia, were asked to design and fabricate an artwork that addresses the many layers of human impact on the environment. Thirteen artists and artist teams were selected to participate in the exhibition. The artwork selected provides insight into human impact on the environment, including sea level rise, climate change, pollution, and consumption. These 13 indoor and outdoor artworks will ask important questions challenge perspectives, and educate viewers on the importance of this topic. The Hermitage Museum and Gardens is excited to showcase and support the rich artistic talent living in coastal Virginia for this compelling exhibition. Unknown Outcome, a coastal Virginia collaboratory. These are the artists and their stories. This is Unknown Outcome, the artist interview series. Episode 3, Gene Benvenuto and Luke Stone. Gene Benvenuto, Luke Stone, thanks so much for coming on the show. Congratulations for being selected uh, for Unknown Outcome. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: Gene, this first question is for you. Um, You work in many different styles of art with many different materials, charcoal figure drawings, acrylic paints, and more. Talk a bit about your materials, your style, and your work.
1: I've been making art a long time, and... While I was teaching, sometimes I would be introducing materials to a group of students and enjoying their exploration of the material so much and realizing I enjoyed demonstrating with that material that it would motivate me to explore it professionally, you know, on my own terms. And lots of times I just needed an escape from what I did all the time you know to exercise other creative muscles.
0: Luke in the biography section of your website it states yeah. that you began your artistic training and research at the Toledo Museum of Art where yeah. you practiced photography, metalwork and found a passion for working with glass. Uh what was it about those mediums and and particularly glass that
2: drew you in and spoke to you? Really it was just a slow progression like Was in photography from there, just being in a community of makers at the Toledo Museum of Art, found welding that sounded exciting. My welding teacher was immediately like, you kind of have a knack for this. Like if you like hot materials and three-dimensional working, our museum is known for glass blowing. And really, like I think a lot of people that get into glass can say it's called like getting the bug. Like once you try it, you just understand there's just something so alluring and captivating about how this material can work and how it can be shaped with fire. And it's just like a very seductive medium. So I just, I I was entranced by that, I guess. And just really haven't looked back since like went to university for it too. Gene, you were an art teacher for 28 years
0: in the public high school system here in southeastern Virginia. In fact, you taught high school art at Churchland High School from 1992 to 2017. You were named Teacher of the Year in 2005 and a National Distinguished Teacher Award in 2014. You earned that in 2014. My question is, um, is a high school student from 1994 the same as a high school student now? Like, have students changed?
1: I wanna say yes, they have. When I was nearing the end of my career, my students were often much better informed, had been following contemporary artists, had niche interests, uh, very specialized people that they followed that they would introduce me to. But on the other side of it, because I think of the influence of technology, they lacked a little bit in their ability to socially interact, you know, and, and be spontaneous and open within a group.
0: Gene, you got a bachelor's of fine arts degree in painting from Old Dominion University in 1980. And since then, according to your resume, you've gone back to college seven times over the last 40 years, <laughs> taking graduate courses and everything from figure drawing to web design to digital imaging. Where does that curiosity and drive come from?
1: Well, um, literally, it comes from the need to recertify as a teacher. Uh, every every six years, you're on a cycle, and every six years, you have to check in and take a graduate-level course in an area that you think will benefit you or benefit your students. The one in uh, web design and also in Photoshop, that was the brainchild of my supervisor. So the that the breadth of those topics is sometimes due to how clever my supervisor was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, this next question is for either one of you or both of you. Um, do you remember the first image or painting or movie that stuck with you? Like the first artistic thing that made an impression on you growing up as, as a child? Mm.
1: Well, um, it's not uh, a single piece of art when I was somewhere around 11 or 12 years old I was at a neighborhood friend's house and in the garage uh, this friend who was a year or two younger than me had small oil paintings propped up in her garage and I asked about them and she said that she was taking lessons and man that resounded with me and I went home and I said, hey, I want to be able to do what she's doing. I think I can do it. So I was probably 12 years old and I asked for private instruction in oil painting. So that's that's what stands out to me as a turning point when I was a youngster.
2: I'm I kind of have a mixed question or like answer now, because if it's like a definitive piece of artwork that I really remember. That kind of like made me intrigued by the arts or really contemplated it. It was this really strange print that my parents always had that's by one of their best friend's brother. And he was an artist and it's this woman reading tarot cards and it's like super dark and gray and very mysterious and spooky. And I always thought as a child, it was very off-putting And I just like very distinctly remember this, but always like understood that like, oh, I knew an artist and like a guy that like, I'm kind of close to made this, like I've met him before sort of thing. Like when my parents would go visit their friends growing up. Uh, But becoming a maker would probably be my aunt who also was kind of an artist in her own right. And she kept a studio in my grandparents' basement for a long time. And I always remember like visiting them Uh, like my aunt and grandparents over holidays and she would have like activities set up for us kids. Uh, We're going to do this watercolor or we're going to do decorate this ornament with push pins or something along those lines. And I always really, really enjoy just making and developing something with my hands.
0: As artists, uh, is it hard for you to turn off your artistic eye? Do you find yourself going through the day deconstructing advertisements or signs or menus or buildings? or Are you sort of walking around always sort of honed in and tuned in
2: to, to your
0: surroundings in an artistic way?
2: Yeah, definitely. I, uh, <laughs> it's maybe not even just like turning off, like looking at line, proportion, scale, color, all of that. But even just like new ideas from the things I see all around me where I'm like, wow, that's a really nice building. What if I could do that like this? Now what if I use that over here? (laughs) And then I'll get lost down the rabbit hole of what that is until I see the next thing. Then I'm like, oh, that's really cool too. take a picture with my cell phone, take a note in my sketchbook. The trick is deciphering all those things at the end of the day about what was I thinking like 10 hours ago this morning.
0: yeah that's interesting Luke you kind of see it as a as a positive sort of jumping off inspirational way and maybe not as like a negative like how can people think that way way what about Eugene um I'm
1: chuckling because I have the same life experience and and it can be admiring the design of a building or admiring a well put together outfit on a man or a woman or yeah you know some beautiful object and I'm wow, somebody really thought hard about that choice to put the handle there. And I'll say to my well, husband, hold this and and lift it. Doesn't that feel good in your hand? These are things that I think trained people are always have on their radar. I try always to be open to the aesthetic experience, um, whatever whatever form it might take. And sometimes I find it overwhelming Like, oh, that'd be a good idea. That'd be a good, I could do that. I could do this. And then I go, you know, there aren't enough hours in the day. No. Stay focused on what it is you've determined you will do.
0: Luke, how often do people get what you have in mind as the takeaway from a piece of art? Is that something that's important to you? Is that something you think about?
2: I think it is pretty important that people kind of understand and get it. But I also try not to be super abstract. Because so I like to work a little more figuratively, so I, I enjoy the feeling when I approach a piece of art to like look at it and grasp what am I might like what I am looking at, like literally what I'm looking at. Maybe I don't understand what it means, but I at least can be get what the thing is in front of me. I do a lot of like sculptural fantasy creatures, and I feel like we can kind of look at it and be like, yeah, it's mermaid, and the guy's in Norfolk right now, so he makes a Norfolk mermaid kind of thing. So, I don't know, I try to make things digestible, I guess. Gene, for you, um,
0: is that something you think about in terms of what people's reaction is, if they understand what your intention was? Do you early think about in that? my
1: painting career, and I'd say early being the first 20 years, I was really into color and just wanted to create still lives or figure paintings or landscapes that were all about the aesthetic quality, you know, a beautiful object so it wasn't tied up with significant meaning or or deeper abstract concepts they they weren't necessarily challenging objects they were pleasing objects um as i've gotten older i've i've chosen to follow topics and themes in my work where the narrative can be challenging and that has taught me a lot about my relationship to the viewing audience because I've been in proximity to people when they encounter my work and the script in my head is going no 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 that's not what it was about that's not why I painted it that's not you know no but this is in my head because my viewers any viewer of art is fully entitled to bring their frame of reference to the work of art and relate to it on whatever level they want to. You know, I'm that's beyond my control. And that was one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn in the past, I don't know, fifteen or twenty years at this end of my career, is that when you put it out there to the public, you've set it free. And you know, maybe it lands the way it's supposed to with someone, or maybe they bring something entirely different to it and walk away with something entirely different.
2: Uh,
0: luke how did you first meet Jean?
2: How i met her actually kind of through the chrysler museum of art she was inquiring about how to make a glass figure uh of certain dimensions that could then fit within a framework that she wanted to do uh so her and i discussed the idea and figured that she could try flameworking to execute this. So I've been giving Jean flameworking lessons or glass blowing lessons for about a year now, a little over a year, maybe.
1: Uh, yeah. Jean, is that I how was you in search it? of how to bring some of my ideas into three dimensional material and was fascinated by glass and, uh, the people at Chrysler glass studios yeah. recommended I get in touch with Luke and I did. And, uh, the the biggest benefit of that decision was making his acquaintance and then having it roll into the opportunity with Unknown Outcome.
2: Yeah.
0: So let's walk through your process for Unknown Outcome for a bit. Uh, you heard about the call to artists and, and then what? What were the next steps that came um, next?
1: I heard about the call through a mutual friend and I was like, man, this is cool. And the ideas just kept pouring into my head and I would jot things down and I kept a little notebook with me and I was making little sketches and I was, and it it just kept clicking. And from that, I narrowed down and, and did a little cursory research about ideas and funneled and funneled and narrowed and narrowed. And I think I even brought some of my really early stuff to Luke and said, well, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think?
2: <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, how would this work? Is this possible? Am I in the right direction?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can this be made? And, yeah. um, and almost instantly I knew um, because of my association with Luke that I wanted to incorporate a glass element in the work, whether it was, poured cast or flamework or neon, I knew, I, I knew it should have a glass element.
2: Yeah, we went through a lot of different iterations of what types of glass elements could have been included with this idea. So describe the piece of
0: art that you're creating for Unknown Outcome. Uh, what's the title? What are the materials, the colors? Um, describe it.
1: Well, the title is The Museum Tree, and it's a marriage of my love of nature, love of trees and woods with my respect and love for the arts community and the fact that I identify as an artist. And the notion of when sea level rises, what will ordinary people do to protect the things that they value and treasure? But also what will museums do to protect what society values and treasures we have to elevate these things we have to raise them above sea level we have to protect them by elevating them and the live oaks on the property of the hermitage museum played into my mind very very strongly as emblematic of the museum but also where things could be put um, like childhood tree houses, you know, elevate these things.
0: So the way that I understand the original idea or concept or pitch was for an actual tree house itself, and I think the current version of it is various pieces of art sort of suspended by a tree. Uh, Luke, can you sort of talk about what the current vision is described? So yeah, you. as
2: you were just saying, it kind of switched from an idea of actually having different decking built and incorporated that it would enwrap wrap the tree and it would have been more of like a treehouse space that you could walk through. But due to kind of like design limitations, what we settled on was something a little more accessible, attainable (laughs) to install, which is a series of frames of three of them that are acrylic frames that will have decorative kind of finial objects along the perimeter to give it kind of that nice museum frame look, not just like a simple little border. Inlaid in these frames, we're gonna have sheet aluminum that is perforated with paintings that represent images from the collection of the Hermitage. And we're gonna illuminate these frames with neon to give them a nice glow. Uh, With these suspended in the tree limbs, there'll be a series of vitrines that will have various objects, again, that allude to the collection of the museum. So we're definitely taking samples from the Hermitage and almost literally placing it in the tree, elevating it out of the water. But as we're doing this, Gene's original concept allowed it to include two bands of neon that are going to encircle the trunk of the tree that represent that water level change over, uh, I think it's 50 years and then 100 years of time as that water level's gonna grow and encroach upon the land and the coastal areas that we lie in and how these objects now need to be placed in trees to save them.
0: What do you hope visitors take away or learn or think about in response to your unknown outcome work?
1: I'm hoping that they're intrigued and their imaginations are sparked, um, that they really enjoy entering the space. I don't want to go on record telling people what they should think or how they should come away from the experience of walking through the space. I'm hoping that what we present and the choices that we've made guide them to appreciating the role of museums in our communities and realizing that the threat of sea level rise is real. And I don't want to say too much more than that. I want people to draw their own conclusions
0: from the experience. Jean Benvenuto, Luke Stone, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for making time today Excellent. Yeah. to do thank that. You. It means a lot to me.
1: Thank you for having us. We're looking forward to it.